Truth and Transcendence. Brought to you by Yes, You Now with Catherine Llewellyn. Truth and Transcendence, Episode 91. In this episode, I'm going to read you out something quite esoteric and out there. And the reason for this is, while it's true that we require some sense of what is or isn't real for our basic survival and our ability to navigate life, it can be significantly liberating and helpful to dip into philosophical notions around perception, reality, illusion and things like that. And creativity actually calls for expanded thinking and expression. We can't do this very well when we're wedded to a limited and limiting position about reality. And often people come to me to ask me to assist them to be more creative in what they're doing in their lives because they know that things are going well, they know they're going to succeed in what they're doing, but they have a kind of a hunch or an intuition that they could actually accomplish even more with even greater elegance and even greater benefits for everybody involved and greater fulfillment for everybody involved. Now, in order to do that, they need to be more more creative than usual. And in order to do that, it can be very helpful to just give a bit of a shake and a bit of a challenge to notions of what is or isn't real. So I'm going to be reading you a highly esoteric and rather out there piece from the brilliant sci-fi author Roger Zelaney um, across a writing career spanning the last three decades of the last century. He picked up six Hugo Awards and three Nebula Awards, a very clever bloke. And his cult classic Lord of Light, written in 1967, has a lead character named Sam. And Sam delivers an extraordinary monologue fairly on in early on in the book. This is definitely worth listening to more than once because each time one listens to it, different things come through. So here we go. Great souled Sam, the enlightened one, entered and seated himself before them. He sat with his eyes closed for several minutes and then said softly, I have many names and none of them matter. He opened his eyes slightly then, but he did not move his head. He looked upon nothing in particular. Names are not important, he said. To speak is to name names, but to speak is not important. A thing happens once that has never happened before. Seeing it, a man looks upon reality. He cannot tell others what he has seen. Others wish to know, however, so they question him, saying, What is it like, this thing you have seen? So he tries to tell them. Perhaps he has seen the very first fire in the world. He tells them it is red like a poppy, but through it dance other colours. It has no form like water flowing everywhere. It is warm like the sun of summer, only warmer. It exists for a time upon a piece of wood, and then the wood is gone, as though it were eaten leaving behind that which is black and can be sifted like sand. When the wood is gone, it too is gone. Therefore, the hearers must think reality is like a poppy, like water, 
like the sun, like that which eats and excretes. They think it is like to anything that they are told it is like by the man who has known it, but they have not looked upon fire. They cannot really know it. They can only know of it. But fire comes in again into the world many times. More men look upon fire. After a time, fire is as common as grass and clouds and the air they breathe. They see that while it is like a poppy, it is not a poppy. While it is like water, it is not water. While it is like the sun, it is not the sun. And while it is like that which eats and passes wastes, it is not that which eats and passes wastes. But something different from all of these apart or all of these together. So they look upon this new thing and they make a new word to call it. They call it fire. If they come upon one who still has not seen it and they speak to him of fire, he does not know what they mean. So they, in turn, fall back upon telling him what fire is like. As they do so, they know from their own experience that what they are telling him is not the truth, but only a part of it. They know that this man will never know reality from their words, though all the words in the world are theirs to use. He must look upon the fire, smell of it, warm his hands by it, stare into its heart or remain forever ignorant. Therefore, fire does not matter. Earth and air and water do not matter. I do not matter. No word matters. But man forgets reality and remembers words. The more words he remembers, the cleverer do his fellows esteem him. He looks upon the great transformations of the world, but he does not see them as they were seen when man looked upon reality for the first time. Their names come to his lips and he smiles as he tastes them, thinking he knows them in the naming. The thing that has never happened before is still happening. It is still a miracle. The great burning blossom squats, flowing upon the limb of the world, excreting the ash of the world, and being none of these things I have named, and at the same time all of them, and this is reality, the nameless. Therefore I charge you, forget the names you bear. Forget the words I speak as soon as they are uttered. Look rather upon the nameless within yourselves which arises as I address it. It hearkens not to my words, but to the reality within me of which it is part. This is the Atman, which hears me rather than my words. All else is unreal. To define is to lose. The essence of all things is the nameless. The nameless is unknowable, mightier even than Brahma. Things pass, but the essence remains. You sit, therefore, in the midst of a dream. Essence dreams it a dream of form. Forms pass, but the essence remains, dreaming new dreams. Man names these dreams and thinks to have captured the essence, not knowing that he invokes the unreal. These stones, these walls, these bodies you see seated about you are poppies and water and the sun. They are the dreams of the nameless. They are fire, if you like. 
Occasionally, there may come a dreamer who is aware that he is dreaming. He may control something of the dream stuff, bending it to his will, or he may awaken into greater self-knowledge. If he chooses the path of self-knowledge, his glory is great, and he shall be for all ages like unto a star. If he chooses again the way of the tantras, combining samsara and nirvana, comprehending the world and continuing to live in it, this one is mighty among dreamers. He may be mighty for good or for ill, as we look upon him. Though these terms too are meaningless, outside of the namings of samsara. To dwell within samsara, however, is to be subject to the works of those who are mighty among dreamers. If they be mighty for good, it is a golden time. If they be mighty for ill, it is a time of darkness. The dream may turn to nightmare. It is written that to live is to suffer. This is so, say the sages, for man must work off his burden of karma if he is to achieve enlightenment. For this reason, say the sages, what does it profit a man to struggle within a dream against that which is his lot, which is the path he must follow to attain liberation? In, In the light of eternal values, say the sages, the suffering is as nothing. In the terms of samsara, say the sages, it leads to that which is good. What justification then has a man to struggle against those who be mighty for ill? Sam paused for a moment, raised his head higher. The answer, the justification, is the same for men as it is for gods. Good or ill, say the sages, mean nothing, for they are of samsara. Agree with the sages who have taught our people for as far as the memory of man may reach. Agree, but consider also a thing of which the sages do not speak. This thing is beauty, which is a word, but look behind the word and consider the way of the nameless. And what is the way of the nameless? It is the way of dream. And why does the nameless dream? This thing is not known to any dweller within samsara. So ask rather, what does the nameless dream? The nameless, of which we are all a part, does dream form. And what is the highest attribute any form may possess? It is beauty. The nameless, then, is an artist. The problem, therefore, is not one of good or evil, but one of aesthetics. To struggle against those who are mighty among dreamers and are mighty for ill or ugliness is not to struggle for that which the sages have taught us to be meaningless in terms of samsara or nirvana, or rather it is to struggle for the symmetrical dreaming of a dream in terms of the rhythm and the point, the balance and the antithesis which will make it a thing of beauty. Of this the sages say nothing. This truth is so simple that they have obviously overlooked it. For this reason, I am bound by the aesthetics of this situation to call it to your attention. To struggle against the dreamers who dream ugliness, be they men or gods, cannot but be the will of the nameless. This struggle will also bear suffering, 
and so one's karmic burden will be lightened thereby, just as it would be by enduring the ugliness. But this suffering is productive of a higher end, in the light of the eternal values of which the sages so often speak. Therefore, I say unto you, the the aesthetics of what you witness are of a high order. You may ask me then, how am I to know that which is beautiful and that which is ugly and be moved to act thereby? This question, I say, you must answer for yourself. To do this, first forget what I have spoken, for I have said nothing. Dwell now upon the nameless. And Sam raised his right hand and bowed his head. So I invite you to ask yourself, as you were listening to that, how did that impact you? How did that speak to you? Did you find yourself just drifting off and thinking this is nonsense and it makes no sense? Did you find yourself thinking, well, that's very clear, that's really obvious to me, everything in that is very interesting and and familiar to me? Or were you somewhere in between? Were you interested, confused, enlightened, clarified, amused, bored, irritated? All of those experiences you may have had are the sorts of experience you might have when you're faced with a situation of not knowing, of uncertainty, of questioning the truth of the reality as perceived. That particular piece I have worked through and worked with with clients on numerous occasions where my invitation to them has really been, meditate on this yourself, reflect on this yourself, as Sam says at the end of the piece, and come to a place of seeing what can you learn about yourself your relationship with reality, your relationship with witnessing and perceiving, and your relationship between identifying what is truth, what is not truth, what is beauty, what is ugliness, what is essence, what is form, and why does that matter? And how can the contemplation of that help to open up, crack open your mind and your perception and your creativity? So thank you for listening. I heartily recommend Zelaney's book, Lord of Light. And if you'd like to find out more about my work, you can go to yesyounow.today. So thank you again for listening. I absolutely encourage you to listen over to this again, once or twice before next week. Have a wonderful week and I will see you next time. You've been listening to Truth and Transcendence, the regular weekly podcast from Yes, You Now with Catherine Llewellyn. For more information, head to yesyounow.today forward slash podcast.